All American Gunslingers presenting Ubaldi Reports. Hey, everybody. This is John at Ubaldi Reports, the one podcast that provides fact, not fiction on issues facing America, whether domestically or internationally. And with me is my co host, Joe Bitts, who was a combat Marine in Iraq. Unfortunately, he stepped on something he wasn't, but he's fine. And Ray Krause, another veteran Marine. And today we're going to do something special. We're going to have a guest on, Lance Christensen, who is. We're going to have to time out for a second, John. What we're going to have to do this over again. Can you check your phone? Make sure you're attached to the network because you're getting you're jumpy on. Um, okay, hold on. Let me talk. On TikTok, you're lagging. Oh, I know what it is. Are you attached to Wi-Fi? That's the problem. Not the eco one. Make sure it's the frontier. Yeah. Yep, we're on right now. All right, we're gonna do. We're gonna go from the go from the top again. TikTok. Okay. All right, we're gonna go in three, two. All American Gunslingers presenting Ubaldi reports. Hey everybody, this is John at Ubaldi reports, the one web fact. I mean, excuse me, podcast that provides fact, not fiction on issues facing America, whether domestically or internationally and with me as always is my two co-hosts one is joe bitts a combat marine from iraq and ray a veteran marine and today we got something special we're going to because tomorrow for most people at least in florida i'm sure around the country is back to school so i decided to do something different by having somebody come on somebody i, I do know and i consider him a good friend of mine when we were uh when i was back in california as lance christensen and just to give a little background of Lance, he was a candidate for California Superintendent of Public Instruction this past November's election. Lance brings a wealth of experience regarding all aspects of educational issues and currently currently serves as the Vice President of Education Policy and Government Affairs for the California Policy Center. Lance is a strong advocate for school choice, giving parents greater choice on how their children are educated, and he has... Correct me if I'm wrong, Lance. You had five children, five children, and they all went yeah. through and are currently going through the California public school system. So he talks about school choice, but he also has children in the public school arena. So I'd like to introduce you. So how is it going, Lance? John, it's going great. I'm glad to be on the show, and uh, it's always fun to be around and chat about these issues. Well, it is, and I think the big to start this off is, what is the status of U.S. education in America? It's terrible across the board. Some states do better than others. I know that Florida and, and Texas and Utah and there's a handful of others have really stepped up their game. I think at least during the pandemic, those states that didn't shut down all the way or didn't shut down as long are doing better. Uh, but we still rank very poorly when you compare us to other nations like Belgium and France and, and uh, England and reading, writing, arithmetic. And so it's poor, but in the United States, there's a vast uh, spread on on academic achievement as well. California being near the the end and the bottom. It's now, when you mention academic achievements, I know there's. I, mean, it's, I think the first post COVID academic achievement came out last October, and it was very dismal. I think we regressed at least seven or eight points in both reading and math. And I know there was one that came out from the same um, national assessment in. Um, in May that showed our history and civics uh, learning is like only 13% of eighth graders can do understand history or civics at grade level. And then there was one that came out 
I want to say last um, last month that showed a very big drop in education, especially among our ethnic minorities. That one report showed like what 92 percent of African-American children at 13 are deficient at math level. Now, are you seeing these scores vindictive across the country? Again, it depends on region and, and what kind of opportunities different states present. Those states that pursue the options for school choice have strong charter school laws, allow for rigorous academic components, do better. Uh, Florida, again, is one of those places, Arizona, Utah, Oklahoma recently adopted a, a pretty vigorous uh, education segments accounts approach, which other states okay. have done. So they're doing better. But in California and some of the other states like New Jersey and Illinois, uh, New York, the blue states, uh, the kids are really battling an uphill. Uh, it's an uphill battle for them, mostly because the education is being stymied by a very powerful teachers union across the board. Now, you make a, a comment about charter schools. Now, what are the difference between a charter school and a public school? Oh, I know. I know. I remember from when he told me, go. okay, the difference between a charter school and a public school is that the charter school is not regulated by the union. Is that an accurate statement? No, it's a pretty accurate statement. Um, the charter school you, is a Lance. public school. Yeah, you're welcome. The charter school is a public school. It just, um, and it gets tax dollars as well. It doesn't get as much, but it has to be chartered through an organization, usually a school district or a, a municipality. And they have less they have less regulations than other schools. There that said, there are a handful of charter schools that do have union teachers, but it's very rare. So under a charter school, who comes up with the curriculum that's going to be based? Is that the charter school itself or is the school yeah, and that have a, a role to play? Well, it depends on where you go, right? Different states do it differently. I was just on the phone yesterday or two days ago with a guy from North Carolina. The state dictates what happens at a charter. But again, they have fewer regulations. Uh, a place like California, the law is if you're a charter school, you bring in a whole curriculum. Okay. And so there's classical academies. There's some that are more focused on jobs and careers. There's military type academies. Uh, sometimes there's ethnic or religious, not religious, but more ethnic based. Okay. Um, so that you can span the spectrum. Now, what role do school district and states play in education? I know that varies between each each state, but what role do school districts and the state play? So in a lot of states, the school district is a component of a certain geographical area. Sometimes they're based upon city boundaries, maybe counties. Some states, the county is the school board or the school district. In places like Arizona, they have school districts, but there's no real boundaries. If you're a parent and you want to get your kid to another better school in another district, as long as you can transport them there, um, you can you That'd can make right. that happen. Right. And, and so school districts have independently elected boards. Uh, most are protected by their state constitutions and or statutes and their different various education codes. And the school Board trustees are just that. Their fiduciary responsibility is to make sure that they don't waste money, that they that they uh, have the right kind of curriculum and academic rigor, that they're taking care of all the overhead, um, other employment benefits, uh, issues that touch any public school. 
the school district will work with, and they do that yeah. through their school boards, which are usually elected. Now, Joe has a question that came up. Uh, so, uh, Lance, off of Twitter, and it's more of a statement, but it's going from uh, schools that are better protected and uh, a common sense curriculum is needed. And it is. it also seems local school boards are out of touch. It should be made up of teachers. Um, I think that assumes that teachers have uh, the pulse of what's happening in the community. Teachers are in the classroom. And again, I taught fourth grade. I was there in an inner city school in Denver, Colorado. I know what it's like to be a teacher. I know the challenges there. But frankly, most of them are not really good administrators. And it's not to say they can't be, but you also have to have a conflict or a conflict-free environment. If you're a teacher in a district it makes it hard for you to be a an objective third party if you're on the board for that district. In other words, it's fox and hen house sort of thing. So it's always good to have independently elected people from across the the political spectrum, uh, professional experience, uh, you know, attorneys, small business owners, homemakers. If you really are passionate about something and you know how to have keep some sort of oversight, there really are very few qualifications to be a school board trustee. Lance, if, I could, if we could just go back a second uh, again in the beginning, you mentioned how, like, when it, when it comes to U.S. and its education, we're not doing so well. But what are the other countries, or what are the top countries doing that we're not, and why can we not adapt to what they're doing? They're not doing the um, the very they're they're educating their kids. Uh, it's rigorous. Oh, it's a it, it, so uh, really without getting into all the details, because there's different ways and methods of doing this, it's very rote education. Uh, it's getting in there. It's making sure they memorize facts and learn things, uh, that they write a lot, that they're analyzing and reading. It's a Critical dedication towards academics. Exactly. Whereas in the United States, it's become more of a touchy-feely thing, right? We've evolved from you know, doing math as like you know two times two is four to what's your impression of what two times two is uh how, how would you get there and that you're trying to tell stories as opposed to just teaching them how to do math and and in california it's a very real problem in other states it's different common core also really did a lot of damage to our public school system now how some have well, well common core what it did is it set up a whole a different system of, of teaching kids that was more uh experiential and less academically rigorous. That's one piece. Another piece is a lot of school districts across the country abandon a, a scientifically based literacy or reading mm -hmm. program. And uh, if you've listened to Emily Hanford's podcast, Sold a Story, I highly recommend it to everybody who's okay. listening to your podcast. She went through and, and um, talked and, and kind of through the history of the science of reading and how some states had gone down this path of what they call whole language um, type uh, type reading where you look and guess at words and context. You don't learn how to sound them out. There's no phonics instruction. And because of all of that, we've actually lost huge swaths of the population in the United States because of those methods. You go to a place like Japan or China or uh, Belgium, like I said earlier, they are very specific in their instruction, and it's it's very rote too. A lot of memorization, a lot of uh, direct application in their education process. Well, I know when you mentioned California, because I still follow California politics by going to Cal Matters, and I'm sure you you know of them. And there's a big thing with Dan Walters, who's a columnist, keeps writing a column where California is still going 
going back and forth with this phonics issue. Now, is that vindictive across the country where we've gotten away from basic reading, basic phonics to go into other type of learning? Because our reading scores are very dismal. Yeah. So Emily Hanford actually outlines this and talks about the states that went a more direct uh, route. There is a science of reading. It's not really that complicated. And states like Mississippi, the poorest state in the nation, actually decided to re-engage in the science of reading approach. They had the quickest rise in their only state during the pandemic that didn't drop in their literacy because they had such a direct approach. It's not a money issue. It's an education issue. And a lot of schools of higher education, this is where we have another problem. These schools of higher education where teachers go and get their credentials, they become so woke that these kids aren't qualified to graduate and then to go teach in the classroom. Um, in California, they actually eliminated some of the, the admission criteria because they couldn't get enough teachers in the system. And then when they got through the system, they're not capable of, of you know, taking care of much, let alone teaching complex, you know, concepts in math and in science, at least in California. It's been a huge struggle, especially because we have 319,000 public school teachers in the state of California. Well, I know and a one, lot of them retiring. I know one of the big the couple of big the couple of the questions. One of them, you mentioned Mississippi. And I know when they had this the uh, national assessment that came out last October that I referenced earlier, and it did show Mississippi scored much higher. And even Dan Walters commented on it um, than higher than California. So other states did better. But everybody believes we just need to spend more money. And I know Dan Walters, I keep referencing him and others have said it's not always about more money. It's where those dollars go. But where do the teachers unions fall into this? Because remember, during the pandemic, because I have um, a brother that lives out in California and his two um, two daughters and and son were kept at home and they needed one has a learning disability like I do being dyslexic. And they were taught by Zoom where. Gavin Newsom, the governor, his kids were taught in-person learning at a private school. So where do the unions come in? And what is this analogy? More money equates for better results. Yeah, so in California, the, the California Teachers Association, which is the largest union Correct. for teachers, uh, is the most powerful union in the state. They bring in over $300 million a year in student dues. So think about that. $300 million can buy a lot of campaigns, a lot of uh, politics, a lot of advocacy and training within the districts. So they run their their campaigns to get legislators elected, to make sure they get school board trustees elected. And when they do that, they own them hook, line, and sinker. The legislature in California has done everything it can to get rid of these charter schools or get rid of alternatives that don't allow for the, the unions to be in. So during the lockdown, at least in California, the unions were the first one to jump in and say, nope, don't want to go back to class. Keep everybody at home, uh, but still pays the same amount of money. So the legislature actually went and changed the law. They changed the law and said, there will be no A through F grades. We'll just have pass or fail for Correct. two years. Then what they did also did is they said, we're also not going to count the amount of kids that actually come to class because so many of, of them went out, either went to a charter school, mm -hmm. online school, homeschool, private mm -hmm. school. When you lose that many kids, they lost 310,000 kids in the last three years. That's at $23,000 per pop. 
per kid, you know, a butt in a seat, that's a lot of money. And so the unions will always ask for the rates to go up, the money to go up or to stay consistent. Mm -hmm. But now when the parents are voting with their feet and pulling their kids out of these schools, guess what? The the money leaves the district and the, the unions, because they uh, negotiate themselves into a position of never backing down rather than cutting back their salaries to accommodate the, the loss in, in students, their route is to usually fire the last in uh, teacher. Uh, yeah, it's so it's a last in first yeah. out. Yeah, yeah I'm not a big fan of that. You don't get the best teacher that way. No, no. And in fact, what you do is you you get a whole bunch of kids that go through college that excel. They get into the classroom. They're excited. They want to do what they have to do. And the teachers union knows if I've been around for 20, 30 years, I'm not going to get fired. So why put in the effort? And then when right. they have to cut a budget, that exciting teacher goes out. The old fogey stays and nothing gets fixed. Well, because I had a friend of mine in California. His daughter was in first grade and the teacher had a hearing problem. She was in her early 50s and the, everybody complained because the kids couldn't hear her. She couldn't hear, understand her children. She went on a medical leave, but they, she refused to get a hearing aid. So this impacted their daughter in her first year, really first full um, year in school. And that, that has an impact as we move forward. But I think another question I keep getting is that the wealthier schools, the reason they do well, because they are given more money by the state or the district. Now, is that an accurate statement or, is, or can you refute that argument if it's not? So some states, every state does their financing of schools differently. A lot of them use maybe property taxes, maybe local sales tax, maybe income tax. In California, that's actually not true. We have a system called Proposition 98 where it's that. mostly funded by your income tax that comes in the system. And we have the most billionaires out of any state in the, in the nation in California. So the income tax is 48% of basically the general fund revenue, which goes into the system. But what they do is they say, okay, if you're in a school district that's fairly wealthy, but high property values and taxes, the property tax fills. If you take a bucket for school funding, right. the property tax is the first money into that bucket. And it fills the bucket all the way, then you don't need to get this money from the state, right? But if it only fills it halfway, then the state comes in. What they also have is what they call categoricals. So if you live in different school districts that might be, at least in California, underfunded, the state will send you more money. And then you have federal funds that come into the system. And then there's, there's other kinds of funding that, funding, that work yeah. around. So you add that all together. In California, the poorest communities have the most money per student. And the, again, the average in California is $22,893, $23,000 basically. Correct. You, uh, LAUSD, the, the Los Angeles Unified School District, second, the largest, second in the largest in the state, in the Correct. country, the largest in the state. They spend $31,000 per student, 31,000. And I know following... and that doesn't count. That doesn't count these rich areas like Palos Verdes and Beverly right. Hills and others that aren't in LAUSD, but are adjacent. This is for a lot of your poor communities. And so, no, it's, it's a myth at $31,000 in, in LAUSD, the average classroom size is 26 students. That's a lot of money. that's going. Well, to but you make a good point though, because I did, you know, reported on this many places over I mean, across the country, you look at um, Baltimore, Baltimore spends over well over 23,000 per student. And they had a report from the department of education in Maryland, where 60 schools, high schools, middle school, and elementary school, none of the kids are passing the state exam 
And there was one high school, everybody's doing math and um, English at an elementary level. You go to Washington, D.C., the nation's capital, they're well over 30,000. And it's ironic that the superintendent of public instruction in Baltimore, she got a pay raise last year to 435,000. And I'm like, based off what metric? Chicago is even worse. So I work for the California Policy Center. It's a center-right free market Correct. think tank. Um, what we did is we years ago, uh, about a decade ago, created this website called Transparent California. Okay. And it tracks the salary and benefits of every single public employee in the state. If you're a public employee, your name, your salary, your benefits are all in the system. And what we find is you go from district to district, these uh, these principals and these superintendents are making two, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars a year. So it's not so much that the money is not getting to the district. It may not be getting to the classroom. But again, if you've got uh, and, and teachers in California, average salary is about eighty six thousand dollars. Again, okay. it's a it's a seasonal job. You're not working 12 months of the year. Um, but there's a lot of teachers in school districts not far from here that are making one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year. Now, is that is that per echelon sort of stuff? No, but it's not poverty wages either. That said, I understand other states probably don't pay do. as much, and I get it. But California, at least, it's not a it's not a money issue. It, it's a it's a focus. It's a priority issue in good education and academics. And it starts at the top. The legislature doesn't push, uh, you know, the science of reading or phonics education. In fact. They push the other garbage, and and that's why we're fiftieth in this in the nation in literacy. Okay, but what about the other issue when you talk about the spending, about the accountability of where these educational dollars go? And I don't see, and correct me if I'm wrong, I don't see much accountability at the state, federal, or local level because I know, like in Los Angeles, which I follow, being the second largest um, public school district in the country, their numbers have dropped, but yet they're not getting better, better quality. They just want, keep wanting more money during the pandemic. Their union wanted like, I think billions of dollars from the state and federal government to reopen, but then they push all these progressive ideology, like defund the police, immigration and things like that. Now, Ray has a question also that's coming. Yeah, go ahead. It's not really a question, more of a statement, but beach baby 266 said, not all teachers rest on their tenure status. I busted my tail every day for 25 years for my kids. It was important for me to show up every day for my kids to be learning. Yeah, absolutely. And and again, my commentary is not to the teachers. It's to the unions. And a part of the challenge is a lot of teachers uh, are incredible and dedicate their lives and work really hard. When I taught fourth grade, the ironic part was – it was in a in a public school in inner city Denver, and all of my teachers that I taught with sent their kids to private school. Um, to me, I they used to kind of shrug their shoulders. It was one of those things like, you know, ha ha, look the other way, don't talk about it. But I always asked them, like, why do you teach here if you send your kids somewhere else? It didn't make sense to me. It's cognitive dissonance. And what it really came down to is they knew the private schools were going to do the right thing by their kids. Uh, and most of them had taught in private school, but they said the money's not there and the benefits aren't there. Mm -hmm. So we came to the public school because we know the taxpayer is going to cover the cost, mm -hmm. but they weren't, you know, so satisfied with the outcome. Now, again, I'm not impugning the teachers. I'm just saying that 
their parents, teachers all have to make decisions about where they send their kids. That's ultimately the parents' responsibility. It shouldn't be a bureaucrat's decision or an elected official's. I have five kids. All five of my kids are completely different. They are just completely different. So I've got to make the best decisions for each one of them as I send them right. to the system and not just shove them into a one-size-fits-all warehouse that has a conveyor belt that starts at kindergarten and just moves them all the way through. But and I again, God bless those teachers that work really hard. But I there's also, a lot of um, question, when you say the teachers send their kids to public I mean, private school, but I also look at a lot of our public officials. I mean, you have Governor um newsome of california because my brother's kids needed in-person learning they didn't get it but the governor can opt out to send his kids to private school then you look at pennsylvania tried to push a school choice um, system through its educational programs and the governor josh shapiro campaigned last year that he was going to push a hundred million dollars of for school choice and turned around and reneged on it. Governor, I mean, Senator Fennerman sends his children to a private school. Joe Biden sent his kids to private school, but yet. Now, are you like, catching on? Yeah. I mean, even President Obama, who champions the plight of African-American children, sent his two girls to a private school their whole life. But he said nothing about the dismal educational result of African-American children. I mean, only. 92% can't do math at 13, but what's going to happen when they get older? Well, we also talked about it. If I had the opportunity, I would send my kids to private school because I think it's because of how their education system set up. Well, it is, but yeah, also and- I think every parent, like you're saying, Lance, and this is what I, I push school choice. Every parent should decide like Joe should, and you should decide where your kids go to school where, um, how they're taught and what they're taught. But and I agree not... with that statement completely. I don't begrudge them sending their kids to private school no. at all. God bless them. What I am saying is that when it comes to choice for other parents exactly. to take their money and to use it for different schools, there used to be voucher programs in a lot of places. Now they're doing what they call education savings accounts. Mm-hmm. It's the amount of money you would spend otherwise at the public school. So if I'm a parent and I have a kid and I decide to send them to private school, that my public school doesn't get money for that kid. But if I send them to the public school, they'll get money. So the question is that money should theoretically exist in the ether. But if I'm going to private school, I'm dropping 10, 20, 30,000 or like the governor, $45,000 per kid. Uh, that's a chunk of change for a lower income family. And when 55% of the kids in California are Latino, speak Spanish as the first language, I'm pretty sure that not a lot of those immigrant families from the Central Valley are going to drop $20,000 on a private school or even 15 or 10 in a Catholic private school, which is still beyond their needs. What if they say they take the schooling out of, say, the government's hands or the the county or the state and they just privatize all schools? Is there going to be an overall improvement? Or is there still going to be that lack? Um, yeah, so we went we went to a public school system in the mid-1800s. And the reason for that was, which I think was actually a noble and a decent reason, was to get a lot of these kids out of the factories. Um, and we also had to get a lot of kids on the farms. And the idea was to move them um, into a place where they could actually have um, an education and do some different things. The problem is we also made the education compulsory where they have to we have to send our kids to a school. I would say you don't necessarily need to privatize it uh, completely. I'm not opposed to that. 
But what I think you should do is get rid of the compulsory education laws. In other words, let parents make decisions about their kids. If they want to send them to public schools, K through 12, fine. If they don't, they want to send K through eight and then put them in some sort of vocational training or the military, fine with me. If the kid has a special talent or proclivity, sports or or singing or the arts, fine with me. Like parents should ultimately be able to make that decision. Well, there's two parts that I want to bring up is um, one is I've always advocated and correct me to see if this would work is like what you're saying with public dollars. I think if a if a if a parent wants to move their kid or child out of the public schools to another school, like a let's say a a a, 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 a private school, a Catholic school, religious school, or whatever, how would it work if they take whatever uh, uh, public dollars are that are allocated for that child to go to public school and move that over goes with them to so they have the opportunity to get a better education. And then the second part is there should be, I think, three tracks in education. Those who want to go to college, those who want to go to trade school, the building trades, but there's also should be a third track because we're in a high tech world now where individuals learn different electronic skills. Like there's a program out here in a County in Florida called Pasco where they teach them drones in the, um, the high school. So one of the kids got a job working for a local sheriff's department and the same thing with internet uh, cybersecurity. I've talked to an owner of a cybersecurity company in the drone program. They said, you don't need a college education. You just need the temperament to do those type of things. I just think we need to do something different than what we're doing now. I love what Mark Twain said, right? Don't let school get in the way of your education. And well, exactly. Um, I think that real life and practical application can teach kids a lot. We live on a farm. My kids do a lot of farm type work. Um, and it's all right for them to get out there and do hard things and sit on a device all day and play video games. Um, so not to say they don't do those things and have access to all the luxuries of modern society, but I think we have trained parents poorly too. I'll be really right. honest with you, John. And we've been friends for a long time. Oh, yeah. I think there's a, there's a lot of families that just kind of, it's just easy, easy street. Like let's take the, the path that uh, doesn't require a lot of effort from them. And so it's easy to take their kids and just drop them off at school. And then when their kid doesn't learn how to read or write, then blame the school. Well, were they reading to the kid as a child? Were they working on vocabulary? Were they doing math facts with them? I just drove to Bakersfield to, to testify on a, on a bill to give more parental notification um, on kids that are you know transitioning genders at school and not to lie to parents. And as we drove down, my daughter turned to me. I took my three kids with me. My three okay. youngest are still on summer break. And she said, Dad, why are all those trucks with tomatoes? Where are they going? And so we, for an hour, had a conversation about the breadbasket of the United States, right. where 20% of all the fruits and vegetables for the entire country come. And tons and tons of produce goes out. Where do they go? How do they get there? What about energy policy and gas and diesel trucks, which Gavin Newsom's trying to outlaw and, and water policy and agriculture and food producers. And, and we had that conversation. That was probably one of the best lessons they could have had on agriculture, as opposed to reading some book at school and having a 10 minute conversation about it. They lived it. Well, right? That's what we need to do as parents. Yes. And the, I mean, my dad only had a fifth grade education, but he wanted his kids to learn. And many times this is during, back in the day before cable, you had National Geographic and he sat us down reading National Geographic or reading this or actually experiencing what was out there. 
Well, and I think we also have to think about how we talk about education. So you said your dad had fifth grade education, right? Correct. No, he went he went through fifth grade. His education continued on beyond that, right? My dad is a brilliant guy, but can barely spell to save his life. (laughs) If I need to fix something, I know that I can go to my dad and he can fix it. He can fix anything. He was a brilliant mechanic. He could fix anything. You put it before him and he will look at it and study for five seconds and then he'll fix it. And I'm not built that way. I'm the same way. I I appreciate that sort of interaction that we have. Well, that's why on Discovery Channel on the, you know, on the weekends, they have these, I'm amazed how people can come up with these machinery and do that or tinker with it. I don't have that ability. I'm astonished about that. Well, we, during the pandemic, when things shut down, we actually homeschooled our kids for two years. And it was through a, it was through a public charter school. It was an online charter school. But one of the things we would do is every Wednesday night, we would have civics with dad one-on-one. So we would sit down and watch a video about a particular time in, in history. YouTube university is amazing. Like there's videos on okay, like every, that. no, just YouTube, just whatever you want. Just type it in. What do I want to learn about? And we would go find a subject and we would spend all night researching that subject, watching videos, reading books. That's the sort of engagement that parents should be having with their kids. I'm not I'm not a better parent because I do that. I just want my kids to be thoughtful and engaged and not just send them off to school and say, hey, good luck. No, I would agree. Okay, Ray's got a question that came up. Yes, uh, here's, a, here's a good question. By, again, by DTP226 said, what are your thoughts about the impact of No Child Left Behind followed oh, that's a good question. by Race to the Top on public schools? The part of the problem is when you say no child left behind, what does that mean? Uh, and when you make it a federal program, the people in D.C. really know what's happening in Sacramento, California, or in Tallahassee, Florida, or in Phoenix, Arizona. No, they don't. It's just it's a money moving operation, and it's easier to sell it when you can give a, a congressional program a really nifty name. I worked in the legislature for 17 years. I know how you sell things, yep. and you name things really nice stuff. But in the end, it really comes down to the school board and the parents and having a discussion between the two where you can say, okay, this is the curriculum that will drive us to be more productive. But frankly, we're losing on a second level too. The culture is completely rotting our families out. It's creating chaos and divisiveness. We have now put our kids into a political culture war that they are not fit or prepared to deal with. And it's dividing a lot of communities. And frankly, I think... Uh, the kind of federal programs that push this really like, you know, uh, schools were all us approach. Um, I think it damaged a lot of families because they just believed that the schools were always right. But that's where they should send their kids. And now we have a program that's not too far off from that. It's called the whole schools or the community schools program, yeah. where they're trying to take everything and throw it in the basket of what a school should be, except for drum roll, educating the kid. Right. So, yeah. If we're going to do everything else for the kid except educate them, then that's uh, just social indoctrination at that point in time. I think right now, and to wrap all this up, is we're starting to see, I think the pandemic ripped the Band-Aid off. You saw it happen in Loudoun County, Virginia, where parents wanted more say. They didn't like what was being taught. I mean, you were Zooming your kids. My brothers went through the same thing. And you're sitting there doing your, your work for your business or whatever job you had, and you're kind of listening and not listening. And all of a sudden, you know, your kid's in math and you're like, wait a minute, that's in math. Why are you teaching that? And then parents started to see what was being taught. And now we come out of the pandemic and it showed 
schools were shut down when they didn't need to be. We were blessed. And I know Joe has two children. They only missed the first, well, the end of like, I think six weeks of that one school year when they shut down. Then they reopened that, that um, August. So they didn't have this big learning loss that states like New York, um, Illinois, or California have. So I think you're right. Parents have to have a greater say of what's being taught and how their kids are being taught. But also, most importantly, they need to be involved in their children's education, whatever level they're going to be involved in. Hey, Lance, uh, why don't you go ahead and let us know how people listening to the podcast can get a hold of you if need be. That would be great. They can uh, check out our website, CaliforniaPolicyCenter.org. Uh, my my email address is there. It's Lance at CalPolicyCenter.org as well. Uh, they can also follow me on Twitter at L-A-N-C-E-L-A-N-D-S, at Lance Lands. Um, I go out there and I fight the battle every day. I try to be honest. I try to provide facts and figures and studies. But somebody's got to fight for these kids. And I see a lot of mama bears get up. But I'm I'm willing to the to the dads. It's time for you to stand up and and stop putting up with the bull. Uh, you're busy with work and your lives and careers. I get it. Uh, we've got to stand for these kids. Otherwise, our next generation is really going to have a hard time. I appreciate that. You make good points. We've got to stand up for our kids. If we're going to be the global superpower, we need educated kids. So thanks a lot, Lance. And we'll do this again when education becomes a, pro- a big priority, maybe like before the election gets going. So thanks a lot very much. All right, everybody have a good